Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor and transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber, and I have to say, welcome to episode number 200. I can't believe it. Episode number 200. That is remarkable. I never thought we would make it to episode 10. And here we are at episode number 200. Uh, Remarkable. And we've had some remarkable shows over the past uh, several years. We've had some remarkable interviews over the past several years. I'm surprised, frankly, that these people still want to talk to me. Uh, (laughs) It's been fascinating interviews. uh, And you can look back at all the uh, 200 episodes. And I think this show has gotten progressively better over the last 200 episodes, which is what you should hope for. Um, And so (laughs) we'll see if we can make it to another 200 and get up to number four. But Right now, let's just be happy with 200 episodes. If you want to be part of the show, you can give me a call right here on the listener hotline, the number 303-832-0217. You can reach me on any of the contact links uh, in the description of this show uh, that you can get there on Twitter, on Facebook, on the uh, the Gmail, uh, any of those. You can always contact me on any of those links. You'll also see a link to a story, a news story, a 360 news story about a program from the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, and it's called the Employer-Based Trip Reduction Program. They call it E-TRIP for short, and it is a really interesting uh, proposal here, and we're going to go through this, and then we're also going to have on Russell Haythorn, who was the uh, reporter for Denver 7 News, who did this story, who has a a full piece about this uh, entire program. You can see that piece right now uh, from the link that's in the description of this show. It runs about five minutes or so, and it gives you all the people that were involved. And I want to go through this uh, program here. And let you know what it's what it's all about before we talk to Russell and then get his uh, in-depth uh, reporting uh, about this. And we'll talk to Russell about that in just a little bit. Um, but I, I, I think I think the story actually landed on the general manager's desk um, or it was or maybe came down from from him to Russell. Well, I'll ask Russell here in just a little bit, because this proposal is really going to affect large businesses around not only Metro Denver, along the whole entire, it's called the front range of, of Metro Denver. And this could be, and I say this because this could be coming to your town, to your city. It actually has already come to, uh, I think, uh, Durham, North Carolina. I think it's come to uh, Washington or Oregon. It has come to other places, and it could be spreading to other towns around the country. And this employer-based trip reduction program uh, that we'll talk to Russell about in just a little bit, Um, I want to go through the proposal so you know exactly what we're talking about. And it's going to affect large businesses here along the front range. That's what I was talking about, the front range. So it's going to be, there's Metro Denver, and then there's this this area from Denver North up towards Cheyenne that includes uh, Boulder and Fort Collins and Loveland and, and uh, Greeley and these uh, towns that it, there's a lot of growth going on in northern Colorado. And that's the entire area. But it also includes a lot of rural areas, including a section of Rocky Mountain National Park where no one lives. And there are no businesses. So why would they include that as part of this uh, area that, that's covered by this, by this proposal? So the, the, this, again, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, they say the Employee Traffic Reduction Program is being considered 
by the Air Pollution Control Division as a potential greenhouse gas reduction strategy for employers within Colorado's ozone non-attainment area. I'm sure I didn't say that right, but I'm, I'm going to try to get Colorado's ozone non-attainment area with 100 or more employees at one work site. Since the fall of 2020, the Regional Air Quality Council has worked with, they call them stakeholders, to develop and refine this draft E-TRIP or this employer-based trip reduction program concept for consideration by the Regional Air Quality Council Board. The division is evaluating these strategies right now, and they're listening for feedback. So now we have that out of the way. I have right here the draft. It's number six of this proposal. It's the latest one that's available. And I want to go through this with you for a minute before we bring on Russell and talk about it. And on the outset, they say that this draft is for deliberative purposes only, basically to talk about it, to banty it about, uh, around and and, uh, and and to discuss the issues here and there so then they can continue to refine it. They say it's not intended to represent a formal regulatory proposal. The date of this is February 16th of 2021. So they're continuing to work on this and they're continuing to evolve it. And I wonder if they're going to take any of the... Uh, uh, the questions that I, I'm going to pose to Russell or, or uh, as we talk about here on uh, on the show here uh, into the uh, into the program. So they say Part A, employer-based trip reduction program. The provisions of Part A apply to any large employer within the eight-hour ozone control area. Other ozone non-attainment areas or ozone attainment maintenance area Basically, what that means is the area of Denver and Metro Denver along the northern front range, where most of the people live, not Colorado Springs. It does include, as I said, Rocky Mountain National Park, at least part of it, and part of the eastern plains where very few, if anybody, lives. There, there are some farmers out there, but there's no neighborhoods. It's not like there – and there's a couple of small towns, but they don't have really a congestion or an air quality issue because there are very few people out there. Now, they say the provisions of Part A are not federally enforceable. Okay, well, maybe they're going to do it by the state. Maybe maybe eventually it will become a uh, federal provision. Now, here are the employer requirements. Number one, large employers, basically 250 employers or more, must register their status with the division by January 1st of 2022 or within 30 days of becoming a large employer. So if your business is small, 50 employees, you start growing and you become a large employer between, let's say, because I've seen 250 to 100, it depends on on, on what their uh, definition of you know large business is. Uh, I've seen anywhere from 100 to um, 250. So if you become a larger business and then you have 30 days to uh, register when you become a large employer. Large employers must assign an employee transportation coordinator. Employer transportation coordinator means an individual or entity appointed by an employer to develop, market, administer, and monitor the program. The ETC can be an internal employee or an outside entity contracted by the employer to fulfill requirements of this program. The entity can include metro planning organizations, consultants, transportation management associations, organizations, or government agencies. Right there. Boom. 
They're creating jobs. <laughs> creating new business right there because you're going to have to have somebody either at your business, which most businesses will probably say, uh, will you please take on this added responsibility of being our employer transportation coordinator? Not really going to pay you anything extra for it, um, but you can go ahead and do that anyway for us. So uh, I guess maybe a computer cop is basically what that what that job is. All right, so this uh, ETC, as they like to call it, shall serve as the point of contact between the employer and its workforce to implement, promote, and administer the organization's e-trip efforts. Tasks may include meeting with employees to talk about benefits of carpooling, van pooling, electric vehicles, biking, or riding transit, assisting employees with ride matching to form carpools or van pools, promoting the worksite trip e-trip, promoting the worksite e-trip to employees by producing and distributing information pieces. I presume the information pieces come from the uh, Regional Air Quality Council or from the uh, Department of Public Health and Environment. Um, I don't think somebody, you're employer transportation coordinator is going to be making up flyers. Well, maybe, unless they're very artistic. Uh, coordinating the distribution and collection of biannual e-trip surveys to all employees, tracking employees' participation in specific program elements, completing the e-trip report and program description annual report, evaluating e-trip and making enhancements when necessary, briefing management on e-trip's progress, maintaining e-trip related documents and survey results. That sounds like a lot for just a, here, try this, do this job. It sounds like you're going to have to either take uh, work away from somebody for and let them work on this for, you know, a couple hours a week, uh, you know, a bunch of hours a month, or, or maybe it's a full-time or part-time position that has to be done all the time by, by one specific person. All right, so now number four, large employers must conduct an in, uh, initial employee commute baseline measurement. The survey will ask the travel distance from the employee's home to the work site what frequency and mode of transportation the employee used to get to work, and how often the employee participates in telecommuting programs or compressed work week schedules. The survey must achieve a 75% response rate. Surveying can be performed by the organization or an outside entity contracted by the employer. This entity can include consultants, transportation management associations, organizations, government agencies, again, creating those jobs that uh, we didn't need in the first place. Uh, but uh, what happens if they don't re achieve a 75% response rate? I th the, what, what's really missing from all of this is the therefore what? What happens if you don't do it? Um, so that, that's still a question that I, I need to ask Russell about. By June 2022, so we're talking about a year from now, Large employers shall develop and begin implementing an e-trip plan that may contain, but not limited to, the following elements. Weekly commuting tracking systems where employees record daily commuting practices. Seriously? So as part of my job, when I get to work, I'm going to have to record. I drove to work from Castle Pines to downtown Denver, and this is how many miles I went. This is how long it took. Uh, so that's going to be part of my job and then turn it into the uh, employer transportation coordinator or the 
business that is going to be the coordinator, and and that's going to be a, a new new part of our, of our jobs. Real time transportation information, such as transit schedules or shared transportation information, in a prominent space, and it's provided to employees at least twice per year. I imagine that's going to end up the bus schedule or the transit schedule or just the um, commuter, the the local one here in Denver. It's called the Regional Transportation District, RTD. So they'll just post that up where they post the uh, the number for the workman's comp and all that other stuff right there in that. I think it's in the front right there by the, by the back door where the employee door is. Uh, surveying can be performed by the organization or an outside entity contracted by the employee, employer. All right. Flex work policies to allow and or encourage alternate work schedules and telework for employees with suitable positions. This is going to be a continuation then of the working from home. I think they're really trying to capitalize on the work from home success that a lot of people have had. And there's a lot of people that still want to work from home. They're actually anxious about going back to an office. And so this would allow for businesses to then say, it's okay, employee, you can stay working from home because then it gives us this, uh, at least one employee, two or three, however many they, they need to then telework, not get on the road and meet their mandate. They say this may include a policy allowing employees to work intermittently, part-time or full-time at home, alternative work schedules, such as compromised work week allowing a full-time employee to eliminate at least one work day every two weeks by working longer hours during the remaining days, resulting in fewer commute trips by the employee. Basically, four tens. I would love to work four tens. Uh, I'm already doing tens or elevens or twelves, so I might as well just do four of them and have a three-day weekend. But I, I, I think there are a lot of people lot of employees that would love to get on a 410 schedule and have uh, three uh, weekend days off. Uh, by the way, in their, in their context of vehicle, as we were talking about vehicle, it means motorcycles and on-road vehicles powered by gasoline or diesel internal combustion engine. You might hear ICE for short instead of EV, EV, electric vehicle, ICE, internal combustion engine, uh, with nine or less seating positions. So I guess my Volt Powered by my battery is fine, so I, I guess I qualify as an electric car, so I am not a gasoline or diesel internal combustion engine, so boom, uh, I, I qualify. I'm, I'm helping my employer right there by uh, by being a battery-powered vehicle. And what if I had a van of, of 10 people? What if I have one of those big transit vans? It's actually a family. My, my uh, older daughter, she has uh, one of her friends in middle school. The, uh, the parents, they had uh, two kids. And then, boom, they had triplets. So they had five kids. Could you imagine having two kids and then all of a sudden having triplets uh, all under the age of five? Could you? That, whew, uh, God bless them. Anyway, they, they bought one of those big transit vans so they could transport everybody around. Uh, and their license plate says five on two, which is <laughs> kind of funny. Anyway, so, you know, what kind of a vehicle? Maybe you're getting a different vehicle to, uh, to meet these requirements. All right. They also say flexible scheduling to shift commute trips by employees outside the period between 6 a.m. and noon. So basically what they're trying to do is get people to work later. So I, I guess it doesn't count any of this stuff for swing shift overnight employees because we have a lot of employees at the TV station that actually come into work at 1130 or midnight. 
uh, and then work on the overnight hours for the early morning. And then I, I guess I don't count because I usually leave for work at uh, 3 o'clock, 3, uh, 3.15 in the morning. And uh, so I don't count because I'm in before 6 a.m. Actually, I think our entire morning show would be in before 6 a.m. So uh, right there, our, our business is actually going to be meeting the mandate. All right, here we go. Another. So this is Section D of Part A and Number 3. All right. Parking management, including the institution or increase in parking charges for single occupancy vehicles. Omit any parking subsidy from employee benefits package and use onboarding processes and regular information sharing to discourage driving to and parking at an employment site. So they want you to start paying for parking. And where does that money go? Probably to pay for the employer transportation coordinator or for the uh, business that you would be hiring to do all of this work for you. Also, provide parking at a daily rather than monthly rate, preferential parking and or reduced parking charges for high occupancy vehicles, bicycles and other forms of emerging micro mobility. You don't need to park a scooter. Well, I guess or a bike. I guess you have the bike rack. A parking cash-out program providing payment for employees who do not use the parking facilities. So where does that money come from to pay people for not parking at your facility? Maybe it comes from the people who are parking at your facility. Because let's say you have nobody parking at your facility and you're not bringing any income. So where does that money come from then to pay all the employees uh, who are not parking at your facility. Some facilities you actually don't park at. You actually can show up. Uh, how many businesses in New York City, your people just take the, the already take the subway or they work or whatever. They're actually not driving in, so you don't have enough uh, people paying in. So that, that's an added cost to the business. All right, providing parking space for car share vehicles or company-owned cars for employee use. Employee shuttles. This may be a circulator between employer locations, between park and ride facilities or transit hubs, or over a longer distance to provide a route for which there is no public transit alternative or capacity, and along with there is a density or potential users. So basically, they want your the employer to set up their own public transit with a shuttle system. So you are shuttling people, let's say it's a grocery store, let's say it's Walmart. Are you shuttling people from their home to work or you shuttling them from a outside parking lot to, to work? I mean, uh, there are a lot of questions with that one. Um, and who's going to pay for that? Because you have to hire somebody to be the driver, the shuttle driver. You have to hire the, you have to buy the, the, the van. You have to pay for the insurance. You have to pay for the, the gas or the well, then now you've got another vehicle out there instead of a single occupancy vehicle. Now you have somebody driving employees from campus to p- campus uh, or from campus to home or whatever. Uh, and then you, what if it's an electric car? All right, fine, good. But they, so you're hiring somebody to, to, to do that and, and you're, who's going to pay for that? Uh, it continues, guaranteed ride home for employees who do not drive. Again, who's going to provide that? I live a half an hour away. It's 25 miles. So they're going to guarantee me a a drive at three o'clock in the morning, somebody picking me up and driving to work and then driving me home after that. uh, That doesn't seem feasible. Rideshare matching to connect employees and promote carpooling and van pooling. 
bicycle parking facilities, and other active commute facilities, including but not limited to lockers, changing areas, electric bike charging infrastructure, and showers for employees who walk or bicycle to work. Now, that is nice. It, actually, at our building, we, our building is equipped with these uh, lockers uh, that do have uh, uh, or this locker room that does, it does have showers, uh, which is a nice feature if you had to stay overnight there at the uh, station, which I've done in the past for snowstorms and other snow coverage, things like that. But not every business is able to do that. Um, it can't, the, the facilities aren't set up for that sort of thing. So how do you, how do you figure that's going to happen? On-site, low-slash-no-cost electric vehicle charging infrastructure. All right, but it's going to be a cost to the company that has to put the power out of those charging stations and put it into somebody's car. That costs money. The electricity is not free unless you're, and even if you're getting it from a solar, I mean, you, it, wherever you're getting the electricity from a wind generator, from solar, or from the grid, it's still going to cost you money in some way to put that power into a car. And who's going to pay for that? Again, probably the employer. Where is the employer getting all this extra money to provide a van and provide electric charging stations and van pooling and uh, at lockers and showers and and free ride home to employees who who live where there's actually one employee, one of our engineers. He lives in Pueblo. That's a hundred and what is it? Uh, probably I think it's a hundred and twenty, hundred and ten miles between his house and and work. A hundred and ten miles. How, how are you going to employ? Guarantee him a ride home. All right, it continues. Subsidies and modal support, including subsidies for transit fares, subsidy for carpool and vanpool participation, provision of employer vans or third-party vans for vanpooling, pre-tax transportation benefits, allowing employees to use pre-tax pay for transit passes, bicycle share, other uh, emerging forms of micro-mobility, payments or passes, or vanpool use, and on-site daycare facilities. Again, who's going to pay for the on-site daycare facility? And who says that these businesses have room for an on-site daycare facility? Who's paying for all of this? Where is the money coming from? If you're going to have to subsidize something, that means you're going to have to tax something else to get that money to subsidize somebody else, right? So who are you taking the money from to give it to somebody else? And it, sound, it doesn't say it explicitly here, but I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be these businesses. And I imagine that businesses are going to be having a long, hard look at this proposal and talk to the uh, Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment and say, look, we can't absorb all of these costs. So then who pays for all of it? Does it then come from taxpayers? Does it come from uh, uh, driving? Uh, is there going to be a new fee for drivers? I mean, there's, there, there are a lot of questions about where all this money is coming from and how this actually would be implemented. All right, so this is part three, part B, reduction requirements. Uh, number one, by January 1st, 2023, large employers are to achieve a single occupancy vehicle employee commute rate of no greater than 75%. 
translating to 25% of employees not commuting to the worksite on any one given day by January 1st, 2025. Or within three years of becoming a large employer, large employers are to achieve a single occupancy vehicle employee commute rate of no greater than 60%. That's nearly half of the employees in four years to stop coming to work on a single occupancy vehicle uh, or in a single occupancy or on one or, or whatever. The elephant in the room still here is the what happens if we don't comply? To me, to me, that's the one glaring omission here. Then what? If I don't do this as an employer, if I'm unable to do this, if I'm too, if it's too expensive to do all of this, which employers are already having to absorb all kinds of COVID costs and try to come out of this pandemic, and then you drop this on them, what what happens to a business that fails to meet these targets? What happens if a business or if a business ignores it altogether and says, I, I can't do this because it's going to cost too much. So it's better for me just to put my hands up and say, I can't do this. No, thank you. The, the, what happens then? What? There isn't a list of fines anywhere in here or, or penalties that I can see in this draft. I'll ask Russell about that here in just a minute when he comes on. Because um, next, there's a long section about how to record the results of the employees and, and if they're complying with the program. Uh, there really isn't anything relevant in there in that part, so we uh, I just skipped over it. Uh, again, if you want to read this entire document, it's uh, I'll, I posted that too in the description of this show. Um, so you can read this draft proposal, and you can also see Russell Haythorn's uh, reporting on this e-trip employer-based trip reduction program as well. Um, because that, that I, I mean, really, I want to know. When you read the entire document and you're looking at the, well, if I, what do I do if I can't do all of this stuff? What it doesn't say is what happens if, if, if you're bad at record keeping. It doesn't say what happens if you hire a incompetent company or, or agency, whatever, to, to keep track of all this, all what your employers are, or employees are doing. And don't I have a right to privacy to drive where I want, how I want? If I'm driving to work or I'm going to stop at the post office or stop at the grocery store before I get to work or go get a coffee, or I can't do that if I'm on the bus, how many people uh, are driving to work? They stop at the Dunkin' or they stop at the Starbucks, they get a coffee, they get something to eat, they, they stop at McDonald's, and then they go into work. What happens to all those businesses? The, the secondary effect of taking 40% of commuters off the roadway and all those businesses that are designed around those commuters. Um how does all that happen? Now, this part four, this last part was exemptions, where it says the following large employers are exempt from the requirements. Hospitals, large employers that certify that employees telework on an average two or more days per week. How many employees? Do we have to do be up to that 40% range or, or in the meantime, 25% range that are teleworking two or more days a week? How many employees have to be doing that? Schools are exempt. And you can also get a hardship waiver on a case-by-case -case determination. So then you have to go against, uh, go in front of their board, their uh, Regional Air Quality Council board, and then beg to say, look, I cannot keep doing this because it's just too expensive for me or it's just 
too cumbersome and it's just not good. And I, I, I know this is just a draft proposal and I know there's going to have to be some uh, pushback and some give and take. And, uh, but when you ever have a uh, proposal that comes out like this, it's going to happen. It's going to happen in some form. It's, it's, it's bound to happen. It's just a matter of when and how it's going to do that. So now that I've gone through this draft proposal and you know more about what we're talking about, I want to invite our senior 360 reporter, the one, the only, Russell Haythorn, to talk more about this proposal. Russell, thanks again for coming on, and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. Hey, thanks, Jason. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's great to be here on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. Well, let's start with your initial conversation about this story. How did you learn about it, and what were your first thoughts about how to tackle this story? Well, I think I learned about it like everyone else did uh, by reading what the CDPHE had proposed. And, you know, as you mentioned, this is the CDPHE's, uh, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. It's sort of their top air quality guys who have come up with this bold and new and, you know, very controversial plan that they're calling the Employee Traffic Reduction Program, or ETRIP is the acronym. And, you know, um, we decided that it was worthy of a 360 story because there are people who are critical of it and there are people who praise it. So uh, we decided to get all sides, all perspectives and put it together in a story. So yeah, it's a program that, you know, would essentially, as you probably mentioned, require employers uh, with a certain number of employees. And even that is controversial. It could be you know, really large employers with 250 employees or smaller employers with around 100 employees to come up with alternatives on how to get their employees to work, basically trying to get them out of their single occupancy vehicles and, you know, into van pooling, shuttles, uh, perhaps offering employees passes for public transportation um, and, you know, even showers at work for those who, you know, jog. Or, or ride their bikes or whatever. We'll talk more about those specifics coming up in just a bit. I'm speaking to Russell Haythorn. He is Denver 7 360 reporter, general reporter, all-around great guy reporter. Uh, and you can see this uh, story, this 360 story that Russell did. Just click the link that's in the description of this show, and you can see the piece right there. And so you can hear about uh, hear all the people that were involved that he interviewed for this piece. Do you think this is more because it's coming from the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment? Is it more about air quality for them or is it more about reducing traffic congestion for them? I think for them, it's more about air quality. Um, at least that's how they're selling it. They're trying to get cars off the road. They're trying to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And so, you know, that's part of the boldness of this plan. They want to achieve 750,000 tons per year um, reduction in greenhouse gas emissions by 2025. And if you do the math on that, um, which I did not do the math on that because I'm not good at math, but um, <laughs> other experts have, and the, that's the equivalent of taking 187,000 cars off Colorado roads by 2025, which is just four years from now. So I think for them, it's about air quality, but you know, perhaps for other um, players in this, you know, CDOT and others, you know, it, it obviously reduces congestion and we have 
you know, a huge problem with congestion in this state, perhaps not when it's, you know, a year of COVID and people are working from home mostly, but, you know, things will get back to normal and there will be more cars on the road. And we certainly do have a congestion problem. Yeah, we're back getting up to nearly the normal counts of traffic in a lot of the freeways here already. Are we really? Oh, already? yeah. Yeah, wow. we're at back up to 85 to 90 percent on Interstate 70 uh, right there on the north side of downtown Denver. So we're getting closer and that congestion is coming back. I, I, I did see uh, you talk to several people in this story, including CDPHE. What was their overall tone when you were talking to them about uh, this story? Well, they, you know, they're being very careful. They, even though this would be a mandated program, so companies would be required to come up with a plan if they have a certain number of employees, you know, they're being very careful about that because they want, they want the general public to know that even if employers are required to come up with a plan, that does not mean that um, employees are required to follow it. They wouldn't be mandated to follow it. So, well, how does that work when you have a company saying, we want you to either work from home or ride together to work, but then the employee says, uh, no thanks. I mean, how, how, does, how does that work when the employer has some mandates to say you, you need to do this by, you know, reduce traffic, basically, or, or, or how many people are coming to work, uh, single occupancy by this much, but the employees say, no thanks. I mean, how, how, do, you, well, how do you justify uh, that? Well, that's what... CDPHE is is doing essentially they're they're requiring employers to come up with a plan but not mandating that plan to be followed by employees so if employees choose not to utilize those options the employer is not penalized for that so the employer would be penalized if they don't come up with a plan at all but they would not be penalized by the state if their employees simply choose not to follow it. Does that make sense? No, that does make sense. But what would the penalty be if a company decides not to do the plan saying, my employees are not going to be participating in this anyway, so it would be a waste of my time and resources and money as a business to even come up with a plan? What is the penalty The the, the yeah, or I what? Think, I think that's... Uh, still debatable, Jason. I mean, you know, the state is saying that we intend to be flexible and and versatile um, in what really works for, you know, specific employers, organizations, companies, whatever. But there's no real structure in terms of what that what that penalty might be, and that's I think the fear uh, for some companies that you know sort of disagree with this you mandating how I operate my operation, you know, my business. And so, you know, there's a fear that, and there, there are even some that question the legality of this, you know, can the state mandate how companies run their business? And, you know, that's, that's also debatable because the state legislature has given, you know, CDPHE sort of broad authority to come up with things like this. Um, So, I don't know. That can be argued still, but I don't think there's, I don't think they've hammered out the details in terms of, okay, what would the penalty be if an employer didn't come up with a plan at all? 
I'm speaking with Russell Haythorn. He's our Denver 7 360 reporter, general assignment reporter, overall great reporter for our news uh, organization. And we're talking about this uh, plan, this e-trip plan that it comes from the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. It's basically an employee traffic reduction program. You talked to several people as well besides CDPHE, including uh the uh, business, um, is he a, the owner or manager up there in Loveland, Brett Smith? Oh, yeah, Brent Smith. He is uh, he's the general manager, I believe, or, um, you know, president of some sort for a company called Nutrien in Loveland. And, uh, I mean, they, they essentially are, you know, um, willing to give this a go. Um, they have 700 employees, Colorado-based employees. I think they have 25,000 employees worldwide. And uh, they say that they don't feel like they're being told to do anything. They feel like this is a collaboration between large businesses and the state. And he had a great quote. I mean, he said, you know, we should be challenging governments and governments should be challenging companies on what we're going to do to impact our environment and our climate in a positive way moving forward. And so he said they're supportive of anything that's helping to improve environment and climate. And uh, they're willing to give this a shot. But basically um, he would do it anyway, regardless if CDPHE was going to implement this idea or not. Oh, I don't know if they'd do that. Um, I don't know if he went that far, but he said that they're, they're certainly willing to give this a shot. They've installed, you know, um, uh, mechanisms in their parking lot for people to charge, you know, their electric vehicles and things like that. So they are taking steps uh, on their own to, you know, minimize their carbon footprint, so to speak. But um, they're they're just sort of trying to comply with whatever the state would require of them. One um, of the interesting parts of this e-trip program is that it includes not only the densely packed portion of downtown Denver. That does have uh, access to uh, public transportation. Rideshare is easy. Walking around downtown is really easy. But it also includes a lot of rural parts of northern Colorado, including Weld County. It goes all the way out to basically Deer Trail out to the Eastern Plains where there is no congestion out there. It even includes part of Rocky Mountain National Park where there are no large employees because there are no large employers there in Rocky Mountain National Park. Why would you include a national park in this and all these rural areas when there are, there's there's really nobody out there that's that's dealing with the congestion? Yeah, I don't know. And that's the question for the state, obviously, and those air quality guys. Um, you know, who would this include? And I think there is some criticism among companies, even even Nutrien, you know, because their campus is located in Loveland and they don't have the access to public transportation that companies in, you know, closer to the metro Denver area have. And so, you know, Weld County Commissioner Scott James is is very critical of this. He said he understands what they're trying to do, but he says, you know, the problem that he has with that that is that, well, one, they don't have access to public transportation quite like people in the Denver metro area have. And, uh, you know, his his uh, opinion is they should start with a voluntary program and then work work from there. And, you know, 
immediately going to a mandated or forced program is never good for business and and sort of turns businesses off to this kind of thing and then he's also critical of you know it's it, it could be very detrimental to certain industries and certain businesses um you know the skilled trades for example they have to go from job site to job site in their trucks because they're they have a lot of equipment or you know in the ag business when you're in ag processing it's not a work from home type situation you know when you have the jbs plant or a produce plant in weld county or you know you need a centralized factory that accommodates a lot of workers so um there is some criticism and there there are definitely some kinks that will need to be ironed out for sure. Yeah, and I, I think one of his issues would be the subsidies that would be uh, that that are mentioned in this uh, draft. That these subsidies are going to be paid for uh, providing ride sharing, providing ride home for people, uh, charging maybe for parking in some of these businesses. So the, the change in infrastructure that's being uh, suggested in this in this draft proposal could really cost businesses a lot of money. And and I think what Scott is talking about is there are rural businesses that will be hurt more than, let's say, a downtown Denver business that doesn't maybe have to deal with as much infrastructure to uh, to accommodate what is in this proposal. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. And then I think, you know, there's also this equity gap question. And if you you know, if you're a person who has multiple jobs, say you're a server at, you know, multiple restaurants or something like that, um, you know, it's not always convenient or easy to ride share or, you know, get on the next bus, especially if you're if the restaurant isn't within, you know, walking distance of a bus stop or something like that. So, um, you know, for those people, for people who are in, you know, those kind of jobs, it's it's hard. Or you know, your job bit. is rideshare, or your job is to go pick up uh, Amazon groceries and make the delivery. If if that's your job, then you're not going to be able to, uh, you know, commute <laughs> commute to work. Yeah, you may need your car, depending on where your job is, uh, where your school is located. I mean, obviously, we have an affordability crisis in the city of Denver, where people have to live in, you know, the outer suburbs because it, they can't afford to live in the city where their job is, perhaps. So when that's the case, you know, it makes it more difficult to get to work. And so we interviewed... Um, Dr. Sarah Jackson Shumate, uh, who teaches geography at MSU Denver, um, as part of this story as well. And she said, you know, that e even though it's a good idea in theory, it could further disadvantage those working multiple jobs. And then she goes on to say, you know, we build cities for cars, not people. And that's evident in, you know, the Central 70 project, which you've reported on extensively. Um, you know, they're adding more lanes to the highway there. And so, you know, her, her, um, her question was, you know, w w what are we doing about that? What, you know, we've been building highways since the 1950s and, you know, that infrastructure is really hard to change, but perhaps we need to change our mindset and build, you know, cities that are more walkable or that are more, you know, based on equity. Sure. We're visiting with Russell Haythorn about the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment plan, their e-trip, employer-based trip reduction program, and what it all entails.
I mean, maybe I should have her on the show and talk to her about this because there is a difference in how you get around in a suburb in the rural areas compared to the downtown urban core of any city, whether it's here or Nashville or uh, Miami or, or New York City. It's it's much different to go into a uh, an urban core where it is easy to walk around. From you're, you walk a mile and you've seen a hundred businesses and and places to work and places to eat and all kinds of shops. If I walk a mile here, I'm going to see some houses and then not even be over to the King Supers because it's another <laughs> two it's another two miles away. So I, I think it's different when you're talking about walking cities. Yeah, but you can't make every city just a walking city because you still have to have deliveries and people coming in. It's just you know there there has to be a mix of some sort. Yeah, I, I totally get that. And, you know, I'm with you. I don't, I don't necessarily want to run three miles to the King Supers, you know, um, <laughs> and then, I mean, and, I, and lug I'm all not, the groceries I'm, back. Yeah. I'm not a runner anyway. I'm a swimmer. So, you know, and I certainly don't want to swim three miles to get to King Supers. So, um, yeah. And, you know, that's a good point because others have tried this. I mean, Washington state, Oregon state, uh, Boston, Massachusetts, Durham, North Carolina, just to name a few. And I think that there really have been mixed reviews about how it works in those cities. Some say it works great. Others say uh, it's, you know, it's a mess and and it's not working. You mentioned uh, that one business up there in, in uh, Loveland, Nutrien. But I was thinking about other businesses that have, like Walmart, it's a perfect example. I think they're the largest employer in the state. So they have tens of thousands of employees, but not necessarily more than a couple hundred at any one facility and maybe even less than a hundred at some of their stores. So when they say their definition of a large company is, let's say, a hundred of employees or or more, then you might have somebody, a company that that employs thousands of people, but maybe not everybody at one at one place like a Walmart or a King Supers or something like that. So, uh, I mean, is there any accommodation? Did they talk about any accommodation for companies like that with large groups of employees, but maybe spread out over the entire state? Yeah, we didn't really get, I didn't really get into that um, in my conversation with the CDPHE, but, um, you know, I'm certain, I'm certain that it's, you know, something that they're um, taking into account and, yeah, I mean, that creates an issue as well. And their definition of vehicle, when I was looking, going through their draft proposal, is that a, their definition is vehicle is gas or diesel. So that makes me presume that electric vehicles are exempt. And if we're all going to be driving electric vehicles in the next 20 years, then maybe this whole draft proposal or this whole thing would be obsolete as more people are driving electric cars, or maybe they would just add that later to this entire to to this proposal yeah that's a very good point and then and then what i mean we still have a an issue with congestion we we perhaps eliminate the air quality concerns of people driving to work but then we still have the you know the problem with gridlock because so many people are driving to work even if they're in electric cars so um to your first point, you know, during our conversation, I think that all of this needs to be debated because, yes, if electric vehicles become the primary, you know, single occupancy vehicle on the roads, you know, in the years to come, that's still a gridlock problem. When you talked to the CDPHE, did they ever indicate that there might be 
in the future, as you said right now, there's no uh, uh, enforcement, there's no penalty if a company doesn't enforce their... You, Basically, the employees don't have to do it. The employers have to do it. But if the employers don't do it, there's not a uh, therefore what yet. So, But did they look at maybe in the future of, of implementing some kind of penalties? Did they give you any kind of indication that that might happen? They did not. But I think, I, as we discussed, that's the fear that you know companies have is that, okay, well, Yes, I'm mandated to come up with a plan, but my employees are not mandated to follow the plan. But when's the next shoe going to drop? I mean, when will I be penalized for employees not following the plan? And I think that kind of uncertainty makes, you know, large employers, companies, businesses um, a little skittish about anything like this. When do you think that this is going to go through? Is this just a proposal? Or are they going to start actually implementing this? And, and yeah, this sent- is this is just a proposal at this point. Um, but you know, I think it's got some traction, uh, for lack of a better term. And um, you know, it's it's perhaps only a matter of time. Um, but a lot of details need to be hammered out still. And so I don't think there's a clear timeline on when this might be implemented statewide. Oh, it's going to be really interesting to follow this. Russell Haythorn, uh, the uh, intrepid reporter there at Denver 7 News. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> oh, Thank you. <laughs> do, you wanna, do you have other, uh, uh, other titles that you'd like to put on your business card? No, we'll take. We'll go with intrepid. All right, perfect. Yes, All right, I'll take that. <laughs> you can watch Russell's report, his 360 report on this on this trip, uh, employer based trip uh, reduction program, right here on the description of this show. You'll see the link right there. You just click on that. You can see the 360 report that runs about five minutes or so, uh, and get more details from Russell and and uh, hear from all the people that he interviewed as part of this piece. So, uh, Russell, thanks again for uh, breaking this down for us and uh, have a uh, if. If you have any more of these great traffic stories, of course, let yeah, us know. Yeah, hey, that, that was fun, Jason. I'll join you anytime. So give me a call. You, ra- I've, I've rarely talked to you or seen you during COVID, so it's nice to hear your voice. It's Well, it's, no, it's great to catch up with you as well. So thanks again, Russell, for your reporting. All right. Take care. I think this is actually the second time I had Russell on. I, can, I, I don't remember. I know I've had him on in the past, but... Anyway, yeah, and I, I, it's, it would be nice to see uh, see him and see everybody at the station. I haven't seen a lot of people in a year, um, so I, I do miss I do miss all of that. Uh, anyway, if you want to watch Russell's piece, you can see it right now. It's there's a link to his. Uh, um, to it right now on the uh, description of this show. You can also read through the draft proposal from the Colorado Department of Health and Environment. Uh, You can read that as well. Uh, All of it right now is in the description of this program. It's also where you can find all the contact information to contact me. If you want to get a hold of me, leave me a voicemail message. 303-832-0217 is the phone number. Thanks again for being here. Thanks for staying with me for 200 episodes. And here's to 200 more. I don't know. Maybe not. That's that's a lot of episodes. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. Be safe. And as always, happy motoring.